Welcome to the History Chicks. Any resemblance to a boring travel log is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. It took two and a half years of trying, but at last, 56 travelers and 12 seagulls spent eight magical days together. This is the story of the History Chicks field trip to London. Hello and welcome to the show. Today, do we have a treat for you? Well, we just got back from our very first History Chicks field trip and we thought we would let you behind the scenes as to what happened while we were gone. And this isn't just going to be like travel loggy. We went here, we went there. No, you are going to have some mini history lessons, some book recommendations. There is even an education on gas exchange in this episode. We started planning this trip in April of 2019. I have the email right here. April 9th, 2019, we heard from Laura Hart of Like Minds Travel saying that she loves history. She likes the show. And wouldn't it be great if we could do a trip and visit some of these places that we've been talking about? And then she came at us with an itinerary. And we're like, okay, sign us up. Between April 2019 and June 2022, when we actually went, there were four cancellations of this trip. There were also people coming in and coming out because they couldn't go certain days. I think Laura said there was like 170 people that had been signed up at some point to go on this trip. Ultimately, there were 50 of you listeners, Beckett and her dad, me and my brother, and Laura Hart and her husband, Sam, who I thought of as our adult chaperones. Because whenever we were like, now what? They would take care of us. Yeah. With Laura at the front of the tour and Sam bringing up the rear so that nobody got lost, we made our way all around London and different areas in the UK. I don't know how she was behind the scenes, but man, Laura was calm. Oh, no kidding. She was an ocean of calm. She was dealing with some unprecedented (laughs) situations. I mean, COVID, of course, which we'd been dealing with for years and years, but also there was a rail strike while we were there. But you would never know. So without further ado, let us take you through the days. We're going to begin with what we like to call the prequel. Susan and I and Laura and her husband ended up going a little bit ahead of time and we had some adventures before everybody got there. We went to Portobello Road, that famed street of antiques and restaurants and just in general, it was a fabulous excursion. Notable to me, and I don't know why this struck me, there were barrow boys in the middle of the road selling vegetables to citizens of London who were buying vegetables for their dinner. And I think what struck me about that is we were actually based in central London, where a lot of the voices we heard were American and visitor voices. But now we felt like, oh, we are in the real London now, sister. Mm -hmm. I felt great about that. Also, on a non-historical note, this was where I slowly started to realize how much artisanal gin we were about to find (laughs) on our trip. That is the home of gin. I only brought one bottle home from Blenheim Palace, but had I had more bravery, I might have brought more back. (laughs) That's funny. On a personal note, this was kind of my favorite Susan and Beckett moment. We had come out of the tube and we were walking through a lovely neighborhood. There was pretty doors and cute little gardens. And then suddenly Portobello Road opened up in front of us and Beckett and my eyes just got wide like, this is our place. 
This has been hidden from us our entire life. We are at home here. Other things we did, my dad and I went on a pub tour of such great historical information and knowledge that we actually think if we go back, we're going to add that to the itinerary. It was that Mm -hmm. valuable. Um, We learned so much about St. Paul's, about the dragons that guard the city of London, about the man that makes the tiny art made out of other people's old chewing gum. I mean, there is something else. Plus, the pubs have such historical value there. He took us to several independent pubs with connections to royalty and to history, and it was very worth doing. Due to Susan's research and getting on the ball, um, we got reservations at a place called the Sky Garden. I'm good for like making plans while I'm in my house. You are good for making plans on the fly. So this was one of those things we could do ahead of time. It was just a lovely luncheon. I don't know what to say. It was at the top of a building in the middle of a garden. We were sort of lucky not to have a rainy day or a foggy day. We had views miles, miles in every direction. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about before the tour started I made a mistake. You know, Susan's better at booking things ahead of time. I booked things ahead of time. And obviously, I booked it for the wrong day. The wrong Sunday, this Sunday. So I had Super Bloom tickets. And there was a listener who had arrived ahead of time. Other Susan is what we've been calling her, Susan B. And Susan B. and I took the tube over to the Tower of London to see the Super Bloom. Millions and millions of wildflower seeds have not been scattered randomly, have been carefully placed to perform waves of color um, and height and etc. all through the moat at the Tower of London. So we went there and she was so brave. We were idly wondering about the bees. There were so many bees that we wondered where they had come from. Where do these bees live? And she buttonholed a tower guard who was obviously on his break, kind of hiding in the shadows, talking to his gardener friend and asked him about the bees. And he informed us that people all around the Tower of London had been given tax abatements in order to put beehives up on their roofs um, for the past couple of years, because ideally they want this to be self-sustaining. They want it to continue, but it's so expensive to replant every year that they had hoped that a little bit of natural processes would help it mm-hmm. um, to go along. So anyway, without that bit of bravery um, and willingness to just... <laughs> interrupt a guy. Um, he was so happy to tell that story. Not very many people ask him about it. So so I guess that's my little information. Just be brave. People love to share their knowledge. That was a strategy that I was able to take through the rest of our trip. While Beckett was studying history in pubs, I was having brunch with a relative. <laughs> One of my uh, husband's cousin's daughter goes to school. She's in graduate school in London, and she and her boyfriend met up with us and took my brother and I out to brunch. And then they gave us their walking tour of places that they like to go to. So we had already done Harrods. They took us to Selfridges. And they took us to Marks and Spencer. And we were just pretending we had a quest to buy a cardigan. It was chilly there. She gave us the primer on how to ride the tube and just our general lay of the land. It was different than what you did, but it was also good. Okay, so now we move on to the day that we like to call day one. (laughs) 
There was a plan that everyone was to meet. We had a bus tour planned for the evening, but Susan and I had a quest to accomplish before everyone got there. We were going to go find some British snacks to go put into the gift bags. I had asked my European friends what kind of snacks are popular in the UK. They gave us a list. And then I said, where do we get them? And their answer was Poundland. There is no Poundland in Westminster, which is where we were staying. So we got to go to this Poundland. I don't even know where it was. Do you remember? No, but it was a place where the taxi driver said, I definitely haven't brought tourists here before. Which made Beckett and I go, yes. (laughs) All right. And Poundland itself was an adventure. It reminds me a little of, uh, if you're in Rhode Island, it reminds me of Ocean State Job Lots Mm -hmm. or maybe Big Lots if there's... But with more snacks. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and we ended up with Jaffa Cakes and Jammy Dodgers and Walker's Crisps, which I liked so much that I ordered online the like meat pack of Walker's Crisps, figuring I couldn't bring these things right in my suitcase. And so I have there's prawn cocktail, there's roast chicken was the big hit. So we bought a lot of very tasty, adorable snacks. I have to say that's one thing I've learned traveling to another country. Often the best souvenirs can be had for a very inexpensive price by going to the snack aisle of a grocery Mm -hmm. store. (laughs) That's very true. It's so, it's familiar. You know what the purpose is, but it's completely strange. Mm -hmm. You have no idea what anything is. It's all delightful, probably full of sugar, fat, and salt, which along with alcohol are the three main ingredients of a successful vacation diet. (laughs) (laughs) So you've almost got there just by going to the snack aisle. And Jen will take care of the rest in in Britain. So it was really fun um, just to go on a little adventure into the real world there. But in the evening, everyone gathered in the courtyard of our fabulous hotel. And there was a lot of shrieking. There was a lot of, ah! (laughs) as people who had met each other online and had been talking for years, in some cases, finally laid physical eyes on each other for the very first time. It was the biggest in real life meetup I have ever been to. Now, remember, there's 56 people in this courtyard. And we have been, like Beckett said, in contact with each other since the beginning of this being organized. So it was just I, I want to say it was surreal because it was so exciting, but it was also familiar. You know, it was that cheers moment when you walk in and you're they're like, Susan, and they knew me. Like, they knew me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they didn't know, oh, yeah, I remember seeing your name online or I read something you wrote, whatever. They knew me. They knew that I was going to start swearing, which, <laughs> which I do in person more than I do on the show. <laughs> and I was welcomed to the introvert's corner, which proved that they knew me, too. Uh-huh, that's right. That's right. So it was delightful. It was a interesting mix of energy between the very familiar and the completely brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an intoxicating cocktail of that. And I will say, going along with that intoxicating theme, it is amazing uh, how many tiny cans of wine and pre-mixed cocktails people can fit in their handbags <laughs> on top of the bus. That was a, another sort of education. Um, many things were shared. Everyone um, was yelling at the same things. Yay! 
Big Ben, which just now got its scaffolding removed. Had we gone when we were initially scheduled to go, all we would have seen is the dressing of crisscross beams and we wouldn't have been able to get so many. I mean, how many photos did we take? And if you want to see those, uh, Beckett's been curating a History Chicks field trip London on Instagram. So we'll put we'll link you up to that in the show notes for this, along with anything that we mentioned, like the pub tour, the company that does that. Um, So if we mention it and it's something specific, we will put the links to it on the show notes for this episode. One thing we learned on the bus trip that I thought was amazing. There is an entity called the City of London, spelled C-I-T-T-I-E of London. Technically, it is a very small part of what we view as the city of London, C-I-T-Y of London. (laughs) But evidently, even now, from Queen Elizabeth to Princess Charlotte, the members of the royal family have to formally ask permission before setting their well-shod feet within the city limits of the city of London. I'm sure they're never going to say no. (laughs) Um, Nevertheless, the tradition remains, and you can see the boundary of the old city of London because there are statues of dragons facing outward to tell you, (laughs) here are our guardians, you know, be told that you are now in a different place. I loved that. I just liked how there was no, like, breaking in tourist time. There was no awkward, oh, should I take pictures of everything? People were like, yeah, I'm taking pictures of everything, you know. Um, They were super comfortable. I was anyway, and I it, I got the sense that the people around me were too, just because they knew that they could be their nerdy selves in this group and nobody would judge them. Because everybody here had the passion mm-hmm. for history. And no matter what you wanted to take a picture of or what factoid you wanted to tell someone, there would be a receptive audience. Right. Or people would hold your handbag while you leaned out at peril of your life to take a picture of something. <laughs> and then they wanted to see the picture you got after. Right. It was great. That was such a nice way to open. We all sat on the on the roof of the bus. Does anybody ever really sit under the bus? I don't know. But anyway, we got a great view. The double-decker bus going through the town. I loved it so much. Yeah, that was a good intro to London. And then we all came back and hung out in the hotel bar. Yay! <laughs> also a great intro to London. <laughs> and now we begin the tour proper. And just so you're not listening constantly to Susan and I talking, talking, talking about our experiences in London. There were 54 other people on this trip, and we thought it would be appropriate to ask them about their experiences. So on every day, Susan and I will intro with things that happened that day for us or whatever, and then we are going to let some of the voices from the tour speak. And it wasn't just the 50 people that were on the proper tour. There was also a group of people who had met through our Saturday trivia, through our Facebook private group, the History Chicks Lounge. They play trivia every Saturday. And these people from all over the world decided that this would be a really good time for them to have their own meetup. They weren't on our tour. They were kind of tour adjacent. We called them the Seagulls. They called themselves the Seagulls. (laughs) And um, there were a 12 of them that just kind of had their own schedule. We asked exactly the same questions of them. And the questions were this. Please tell us your quirkiest or nerdiest moment, something that made you extremely emotional, something that really surprised you, 
something that made you have a, wow, I never knew that learning moment and something that was a first for you, not just going to London, but something you did on this trip that was a first. And now on with day two. Now, the very first thing out of the gate was our tour of Westminster Abbey. We uh, joined the extra long queue at Westminster Abbey, who had recently taken its COVID protocols off the table and therefore everyone on earth was there that day. And evidently we came in this glorious window where before they hadn't allowed photographs. But during the COVID protocols, since there were so few people in Westminster Abbey, they did allow photographs. And now that they were back to fits up to me over full capacity. Mm -hmm. They hadn't yet reinstated the photo restrictions. So I think we just kind of slid in under the wire on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a nice window to walk through. You say that there were, that it was over capacity. I kept thinking over and over again, there are a lot of people at Westminster Abbey today. Let's just put a pin in the fact that Westminster Abbey was overcrowded and packed. And that may come up later, say on day five. (laughs) Let's just let that rest for just a minute. So Westminster Abbey, um, we were blessed to have a blue badge guide. And what that means is the blue badge guides are official. That is the highest ranked officially recognized tour guide that you can get for the city of London. And I noticed as we were going along that the guards in Westminster Abbey paid particular deference to our guide. We were allowed to go places other tours could not. They rushed to open the velvet rope for our tour guide. They said, of course, you would know to her. And I asked as we were going down a corridor that we had been allowed to go down where there were no other people, why that was. Why are they giving you so much preference? And she explained that they go through a rigorous almost two-year training to become a Blue Badge guide. Practical training, essays you have to write, papers you have to produce. And she said, although she has multiple master's degrees in history, the route to become a Blue Badge guide was harder than any of that. So the deference shown to her was, in fact, to her dedication and to her knowledge, you know, and I thought that was great. We saw luminaries, authors, royalty, scientists, but there was one memorial in particular that got a hold of my heart. We were down that corridor where I had been talking to the guide and up on the wall, Francis Louisa Parnell, age five, and all it says is this monument is placed here by her affected and disconsolate mother. She was all alone in a back corridor of Westminster Abbey. Um, And that really got a hold of me in a sad way. Mm. No, in a comedy way, right inside the door to the left, there are some people who participated in the American Revolution and perhaps not on the, quote, right side, according (laughs) to the Britons. And I noted that all the mop buckets and tarps were stored in that corner. (laughs) I have a photo of that. So I thought that was hilarious. That is really funny. And now here's our first two travelers talking about Westminster Abbey. Hi, this is Sharon. There were so many experiences on this trip that it's hard to narrow things to one. Given that, beginning our tour with Westminster Abbey was spectacular. Walking up to the Abbey that first morning, standing in front of it and looking up was amazing. It was overwhelmingly emotional, and I could hardly believe we were all finally here. A bucket list item for sure. So, so much history. 
over a thousand years and so many stories and artifacts in just this one place. The building is stunning. Everywhere you look, the architecture is simply magnificent. To think about all the people, events, sorrows, and joyful moments the Abbey had witnessed is an incredible thing. I will forever remember my first visit to Westminster Abbey. So thank you, Beckett, Susan, and Laura for an amazing field trip. Hello, fellow history lovers. This is Sharon from Stafford, Virginia. On our first full day in England with the History Chicks London tour, we walked from our hotels to Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey is the final resting place of over 3,000 Great Britons, including kings, queens, statesmen, poets, scientists, musicians, heroes, and villains. I did not know that the remains of Elizabeth I, Mary I, and Mary Queen of Scots are quite near each other in the Abbey. In fact, Mary I was the first female monarch, but only ruled for five years. She is also known as Bloody Mary and lies beneath her half-sister Elizabeth I. After Queen Elizabeth I died, James I had an impressive tomb built for her at Westminster. He also built a much grander tomb for his mother, Mary, Queen of Scots. James was responsible for placing Elizabeth's coffin on top of her half-sister's tomb. The Latin inscription reads, Partners both in throne and grave, here rests we two sisters, Mary and Elizabeth, in the hope of one resurrection. That the three princesses eventually came to spend eternity in such close proximity to one another is a riveting final note to their story. Our tour just kept going. It was a walking tour. That day, I ended up walking nine miles. That day, we saw Westminster Abbey, Big Ben, House of Parliament, Whitehall, Downing Street, Horse Guards, Admiralty Arch, Nelson's Column, all walking. We broke off for lunch, but at Sotheby's nearby, there was a tiara exhibit, and one woman and I wanted to go, so we got our phones out and figured out how to get there. We went to see these tiaras. Now, I'm going to let her tell you about it, but from my perspective, I thought I was going in to see some sparkly jewels with just another traveler. No, no, no. This woman was a member of the Royal Jewelry fandom. We are in there and she is texting her friends because she's seeing these things that just made her so excited. She had so much knowledge. It was like I had my own private tour of the tiaras. I am Lynn and I am an incurable magpie. So my nerdiest moment was dropping by Sotheby's to see the Royal and Aristocratic Tiaras exhibit. It was heaven basking in all that sparkly goodness, saying hello to tiaras in the flesh that I'd only seen in photographs, thinking of the women who had worn some of them, such as Queen Victoria and the inimitable Deborah Mitford, Duchess of Devonshire. The bonus in nerdery was actually photographing Susan with a tiara on her head. Don't worry, it didn't leave its case and no security guards were called. This definitely put us in the right frame of mind to absorb our etiquette lesson and partake of a very posh high tea at Fortnum and Mason's later that afternoon, which was a delight in itself. My heart, I didn't know that moment, was learning that the Waterloo Bridge over the Thames was built, or more accurately rebuilt, by women during World War II. And of course, it was completed on time, to budget, and to specifications, because when you want a job done right, give it to women. Sadly, but not particularly surprisingly, their contribution went unacknowledged until 2006. 
And in the middle of this action-packed day, we went to an institution that speaks to quality and culinary adventure and regalness. <laughs> I don't know what to even call it. It was the fanciest place that I had been inside in forever, um, I think. Um, the only thing comparable might be the Ritz in Paris for fancy places that I have been. But we walked through the O'Donnell tinted walls and surroundings of Fortnum and Mason and went upstairs for our tea etiquette lesson. Our etiquette expert, Eileen, turned out to be the former deputy Lord Mayoress of Belfast. So you never know who you're going to meet. She taught us how to drink our tea. The thing that I keep remembering and catching myself is my elbow wants to go out and balance my cup. <laughs> but she said, oh, no, it needs to be next to your body. So even when I'm drinking my morning coffee, I catch myself and I'm like, oh, no, Susan, you need to tuck that elbow. <laughs> And I was kind of tickled that, you know, you always think, don't bring out your phone during a formal event or whatever. But meanwhile, she was showing me, and I would too, mm -hmm. by the yeah. way. <laughs> she was invited to a tea party, a garden party at Buckingham Palace and had photos. And I was very eager to see them. Susan and I were sitting on either side of her and man. Yeah. The what I did on my summer vacation <laughs> was pretty epic there. Um, it was quite amazing. Lots of fascinators and um, and clever hats, etc. Right. It was very good. And I can't hold my teacup the right way. I think my fingernails are too long. Well, that's how it oh. goes. And she, while firmly coming down on one side or the other, told us, and she would know, that it is acceptable to put jam then cream or cream then jam. She has a preference, as does Buckingham Palace, but she cannot say that either is wrong. <laughs> but there certainly are a lot of people who will say one way is wrong. It's quite a debate. I had no idea until the last couple of years. I didn't realize that you're supposed to wait for everyone before moving up one step on the tiered plate holder. You're supposed to not ask if everyone's ready either. You're supposed to just know by glancing um, surreptitiously about if it's time to move up to the next course. I didn't realize that there was such a formal, um, you know, you're supposed to begin with the sandwiches and then move to the scones and then move to the pastries mm -hmm. in that in that order. So. And ours, we had an hors d'oeuvre level. The first level was an hors d'oeuvre. London smoked salmon blini with creme fraiche. There was a certain amount of stress at our table with the etiquette experts sitting at our mm -hmm. table. No one was brave enough to go in on the first course because we didn't know what to do. <laughs> we didn't want to get um, the look, you know. Um, it turns out you're supposed to pick it up with your fingers and put it in your head. We didn't know. We thought there had to be some kind of a special salmon fork or something, but no. Evidently, you put an entire blini into your face at once and you never know what etiquette is going to be correct. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. eat french fries with a fork, stuff the blinis in your face with your fingers. Yeah. You know, I, it's just random. It's probably to separate the upper crust from the uh, rest of us because none of the rules really make sense uh, and can be delineated. You just have to know. Right. If you know, you know. Right. I love that we had a room to ourselves and all these tables just filled with our group. And it was just the, like the first indoor proper just us thing that we did. So it was really special to me that we were able to all break scones together. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Sarah from Maryland. There were so many amazing parts of the trip. Highclere Castle, Blenheim Palace, Churchill's War Rooms. But I think the most memorable thing for me was our afternoon tea at Fortnum and Mason. My favorite fiction books are mysteries set in England in the early 20th century, with female protagonists, of course. The posh people from those stories are always getting hampers delivered from Fortnum and Mason, and it was just cool to be in the actual store. There were so many amazing teas to choose from, and who knew there could be so many variations on marmalade? While there, we were able to learn the etiquette for a proper British tea, which was icing on the proverbial cake. This was truly the trip of a lifetime. So after our tea, we walked downstairs to the oh, food emporium. They have a whole 20-foot wall of macaron of every color imaginable. That is an item that is just better to buy than make. I have tried to make them, and it is like this soggy, yeah. chewy yeah. mess. It's better just to spend your $3 yeah. and get a hold of them, honestly, than to wreck up your whole kitchen. But anyway, so um, I didn't get macarons, and I was so tempted by the olives and everything is just so fancy in that famous O'Donnell. Is it quite green? Is it quite robin's egg blue color? It's just lovely. But then I started to feel like, how on earth would I get these things home? And I had some dear friends that I wanted to bring something home for. And there were packages, tin boxes of Jubilee shortbread, commemorative in a beautiful tin. And I stood there right in front of all the olives at Fortnum and Mason under the chandelier and got on the website (laughs) and ordered those Jubilee tins of shortbread to be sent to my house from Fortnum and Mason. And I think that counts. Yes, it absolutely does. That is one of the greatest things about travel now is that you can do things like that and you don't have to lug things home. I mean, I bought Highclere Castle gin and had it shipped to my house before because why not? I have some, too. It's almost out. I know. Mine's getting low. I know. That evening, we had free. A small group of us had decided that we wanted to go and eat Jack the Ripper tour. This was some seagulls as well as a couple people that were on the regular tour with me. So we went to the East End and had a Jack the Ripper walking tour. I am recording this in the street. This is Susan on the street interviews and talks while we were doing our tour. So there's a lot of ambient noise. If you listen to our Titanic um, field trip episode, then it's the same thing. There's a lot of busyness going on around us. But I like it. I think it adds it's what it was like to be there. You know, there's a lot of podcasters that go around. They've got their little travel sacks with microphones and recorders and wires. And I had my iPhone put it in people's faces. (laughs) That's how we recorded the entire Titanic exhibit, too. That's right. On my like iPhone 4. We are here for a Jack the Ripper tour. That's right. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven history trips field trippers here to take a Jack the Ripper tour, which is off our regular tour. Well, we're promised gruesome, and now we're walking. There's probably 20 people in this group. Do you think there's 20 people? I don't think there's more than 20. Yeah, 30, I'd say. I think our uh, tour guide is going to be very hard to understand, but I mean, there's so much street noise here to begin with. Is he going to be able to project over that? I don't know. 
But today it was just pointed out to us by somebody that it is the longest day of the year. So the dark, scary Jack the Ripper tour is going to be the sunset Jack the Ripper tour. I am here with the only rooster on this trip, one of only five roosters that are traveling to London with us today. Who are you, sir? Dave. DJ. <laughs> that would be Dave DJ, my twin brother. I call him DJ. Everyone else is supposed to call him Dave. But I've noticed that after only a day and a half, most people are calling him DJ. <laughs> I am here with the one seagull that's on our little merry band of Jack the Rippers today. What's your name? And tell us what a seagull is. My name's Michelle, and a seagull is a hanger-on, circling, wheeling, looking for the French fry. And I have found it. It's the Jack the Ripper tour with the History Chicks. Yay! So tell me, who are you and what brought you out today to the Jack the Ripper tour? I'm Melissa, and I'm here with my friend Lori because this is interesting and fun and scary. Okay, we are just getting started, but tell me who you are and tell me what we're walking through now. Hi, I'm Lori. We're walking down a cobblestone alley in the back streets of London somewhere, passing <laughs> some interesting people. <laughs> and I'm here with Richard, who is our tour guide today, and he has just a couple things to say about the trend towards these type of tours. Yeah, I think um, in the, you say the early 70s and 80s when these tours first began, I think they did focus on the gore and, and the ghoulness and the mystery of it all. What I find fascinating now is there seems to be an almost social trend uh, reshaping the Jack the Ripper tours that now is being used as a fantastic tool to talk about the social history of the area. But more importantly, the women who were murdered, their lives are now being discussed in a way that were never discussed before 10 or 20 years ago. We now have done more research. We now know where they're from, their relatives as well. We know the lives they led. And when we think about it, the killer, Jack the Ripper, that's just a nickname. The actual killer is dead, lying somewhere in a grave, totally forgotten about. Nobody knows who he was, so nobody knows who he is. No one's paying a visit to their grave. However, the women, right, we will remember them forever because they were killed by somebody who was unknown, but we now know their lives and had, I know it's a horrible way of looking at it, but now that we know all about them, people visit their graves. They lay flowers upon their graves and their story is being told over and over again in theatre shows, graphic novels yeah. and sidelines. And I think in a way that's a fantastic change to the actual tours that are happening today. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Richard. We had so much fun today. Not a problem. Thank you. What was your favourite part of this tour? I'm Ellen and uh, I think my favourite part was just, I mean, the guide was just very energetic and just the fact that showing us all the different pictures and just his energy overall. I really like that. I always like it when a tour guide is very energetic and is passionate about a subject. Okay. What was your favorite part of it? Hi, I'm Diana. I really enjoyed the tour guide's audiovisual component. I thought that was something I've never seen before someone do and have a projector on the tour uh -huh. to yeah. recap. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah. And your name? Jaysha. Okay. The architecture between London and the East End. And that's it. Out on the East End. <laughs>
day three was the very first of our coach trips. We might call them bus trip. They were coach <laughs> trips. And we went to Hampton Court Palace, the home of our favorite taser victim, <laughs> Henry VIII and his wives. Hampton Court was actually built by his Lord Cardinal, Cardinal Woolsey, but Henry liked it so much that he acquired it. <laughs> I like the way they put that. Acquired it. If you watched, remember that show, The Tudors? Um, they put the acquiring where Henry VIII, to punish him, admired it and pointedly looked at him. <laughs> and Cardinal Wolsey, who knew he was tipping on the edge of the choppity chop, presented it to Henry VIII as a a gift. Who's to say if that's how it really is? But, but that's probably why at Hampton Court they say he acquired it. <laughs> We went all over Hampton Court. My favorite slash unfavorite spot, Catherine Howard, after she had been condemned to die, was imprisoned in her rooms and at one point broke free and ran screaming down a hallway in order to try to reach Henry to convince him to change his mind about her fate. She thought that had she been able to talk to him in person, she would be able to change his mind. Now, not only she thought that, everyone thought that, including Henry. So she was to be prevented from speaking to him. And they caught her in this hallway and pulled her back into her room. And the docent at Hampton Court said that traditionally, this hallway is the most haunted place in the palace. And many sightings have been made of Catherine Howard running screaming down this hallway. Can you imagine if you were a ghost, that's your whole existence <laughs> no. is running down this hallway. But it was interesting to be in that hallway, nevertheless, knowing that event had mm -hmm. actually happened right where you were standing. Mm -hmm. And the amount of fear and trauma that had happened within the walls where you were literally standing was kind of something else for me. That's one of the most memorable things at Hampton Court. The other thing that was memorable to me was eating lunch with some of the travelers was delightful in the courtyard there and a stacked raspberry cheesecake pastry that I still think I'm going to try to recreate. <laughs> That's interesting. I liked, of course, the same thing, you know, walking where our subjects have walked. I thought the kitchens were interesting. My personal favorite thing was after that delicious luncheon, I broke off by myself to wander the gardens and they were just I don't even have the words just phenomenal. So beautiful. They had vegetables and flowers, so much lavender. I don't think I actually picked a sprig of lavender and stuck it in my pocket and brought it home. I'm pretty sure I didn't, but I should have. There was some heirloom. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> laughing at the <laughs> Just like casually walk by and pinch off a head of lavender. The blatant. <laughs> I know. I know. It's really bad. Um, anyway, there were heirloom roses and there were uh, docents working in the garden and they were telling me about some of the roses and um, they're just so they're old. They're older than our country. These roses. That was just such a magic. I didn't want to leave. We're here on day three, ready to head out to the old. OK, Henry VIII salon. We're just trying to follow the directions. <laughs> tell me what you're doing. We are playing a game of brag, a Georgian card game, and we are 
failing to read the rules ahead of time. <laughs> Six, seven. We're supposed to have seven cards. So it said in the recording that you were really prohibited from stopping gaming if the prince came in the room. And I can really see in a game like that, that is really dependent on nothing but chance. If, if you were forced to bet higher and higher amounts, because as you go to the right, the stakes get higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I would punk too, and it gives you three opportunities literally to opt out. <laughs> but if you cannot, I can see how you could lose whole estates. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, I would have just gone to the bathroom and not sat down to play games. Yeah. That's right. I'm going to faint now. <laughs> Keeping with the theme of Hampton Court, we had some evening plans that were very, very exciting. We went to the West End and saw a show. We went to see Six, which is a musical about the six wives of Henry VIII. I mean, what a perfectly themed day. So my favorite character in the entire musical was the person that played Anna of Cleves. And of course, I looked her up in the program and it was not the right person. Um, even the understudy wasn't the right person. Turns out after some investigation by the entire tour team, <laughs> we discovered that the person that we saw that day that reminded us so much of Kate McKinnon that we're having a hard time picturing the actual lady's face <laughs> was actually a person called a swing who studies every single part and is available at the last minute to perform any part necessary due to the absence of its regular scheduled person. Um, what an amazing and difficult and challenging role that is. And and I don't know that every show has them, but this show had two different swing performers and we saw one of them in this role. Mm -hmm. Feel kind of lucky about that. I, yeah, she was fantastic. The whole thing was interesting. I wondered at the beginning if it was going to be different than, you know, I've been to many Broadway plays and, you know, they're in small theaters a lot, which this was. But I don't recall ever being so packed in. And I don't know if that's just like um, a remnant of COVID, you know, where we're all isolated. And so anytime we're in a massive group, maybe it's just me. It, you feel tighter. But I, I thought that we were kind of packed in. But we also... I don't know if I'm sorry to say, but we also had cocktails. So that was good. Now, this is the very last time that I asked our travelers about their experiences. I talked to Yvonne and Star, who were sitting next to me, and I decided that I didn't like I didn't like the responsibility of having to interview people. And I'm not a journalist or an interviewer. And I didn't like sticking my phone in people's faces while they were enjoying something. So this is the very last ambient noise on the scene interview in this episode. I will say during six, by the way, people were shrieking with laughter. Jane Seymour has a song that literally made so many people cry that afterward you can see the bags under their eyes. You know, I think that's the song my dad liked the best too but it was really heartrending that song um not to be too spoilery but just so you know bring a tissue or two it was a very very good show and it was on the shorter side for a broadway type production west end type production and there's no intermission so you have to get your cocktails at the beginning <laughs> there's no intermission and there's six characters and they are singing and dancing the entire time so it's like a super high energy concert really 
We are here to see Six. We're so excited. Six the musical. It's about Henry VIII's wives. And having just spent the day at Hampton Court, it's kind of a theme day. So I'm here sitting in my seat without a whole lot of knee room, and I have really short legs. So um, I'm going to let somebody else like describe what's going on, okay? So first off, what are you drinking? <laughs> well, this is Star, and I'm having rosé, as I always do. <laughs> it's nice to be consistent. I, I applaud that. Have you seen this before? No, I haven't. Have you listened to the soundtrack before? Purposely did not, just so I could be surprised. Nice. Okay. So you knew what it's about, though. Right. All right. That's good. Give me a second. Another question. <laughs> so, have you seen this before? My name is Yvonne, and no, I have not. Okay. And what are you drinking? Sauvignon Blanc. Ooh, that sounds fancy. <laughs> I have a gin and tonic. It's Bombay Sapphire. It's one of my favorite gins. Yes. Um, so is this a highlight of the trip for you, or is this just another special treat that we're doing? I think it's a special treat, but I do enjoy the theater. Yeah. I agree. So do you think it's going to be different than American theater? I think so. I think it'll be a little bit more cheeky than what we're used to. Hi, my name is Danielle. I joined the London trip from Olympia, Washington. I loved the trip for the overall travel experience and for what we saw. Um, it also made the History Chick subjects way more real for me. The most emotional moment I had on the trip was seeing the musical Six. The first 10 minutes, I was just really overwhelmed, not just by the great musical, but by sitting in a room with strangers and all having feelings together and reacting together. That was the first time I've had that feeling in almost three years, and it was really incredible. Um, there were a few other emotional moments I had on the trip. Um, I actually gasped and jumped when I saw the Rosetta Stone, um, and I felt so much awe touching the graves of uh, so many writers and scientists and queens in Westminster Abbey. But the feeling of togetherness at Six has continued to stick with me. Um, I've been listening to Six songs pretty regularly since I've returned. Uh, of course, it's not quite the same, so I am really looking forward to hopefully joining another um, History Chicks field trip in the future. Thank you, History Chicks, Beckett and Susan, for um, all of the work and Laura for putting that trip together, and it was uh, it was just amazing. Hi, this is Malia, and I was trip adjacent, a.k.a. a seagull. And there were so many firsts on this trip, but probably the most exciting and interesting and fun thing that I did with the group was to go see the play Six, the musical Six. The music was fantastic. The crowd was totally pumped and energized by the songs, by the the women on stage, and it was end-to-end, -end, top to bottom, one of the best theatrical experiences of my life, and to experience it with the History Chicks and the tour group and other seagulls was phenomenal. Thank you. Bye. So day four was a big day. We saw sort of an origin story for the History Chicks podcast. We went to Blenheim Palace, and imagining... Old Consuelo Vanderbilt walking these halls was kind of amazing. And for me, the most uh, touching thing about this place was that I got to see those famous paintings of her mm -hmm. from the book that began this whole show. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, definitely. I walked in the room and I'm like, 
that I know that painting. I know her. Yeah, that happened a lot yeah. in this place. I thought it was beautiful. Of um, the places we went, this is what my favorite as far as a place. I thought the audio tour was excellent. I didn't get lost at all. When they dropped us into the library, I was like stunned and started reading the, reading the bindings like you do at a library. But then I realized I'd be there for days. So I kept moving. Another highlight for us was, um, and you kind of had to find it, they had the Blenheim Fire Department. And in the fire department garage, there was a list of all of the fireplaces in the house. Some have been wallpapered over and are of a little concern to the fire department. But nevertheless, there were assignments as to who was to go where, where the supplies were. It was pretty interesting. Speaking of things hidden away, I was walking down a hall and I stopped and I just busted out laughing, like loud and obnoxious laughing. So imagine, if you will, a corner. There's a photograph of Charlie Chaplin, a photograph of Ernest Simpson. You can see a photograph of King Edward VIII. And there, behind a mannequin dressed as a guard, is a photograph of Wallace Simpson tucked into the corner. It's like hidden by this dummy. So... (laughs) So, yes, a little purposeful disrespect by the curator. Yeah, it was like, shove something in front of her portrait. <laughs> so funny. My son is a history education major, and we were looking at Winston Churchill's paintings, things he did recreationally painted. And I sent it to him, uh, a photograph, and he was just amazed. He's like, he painted? You know, so it was kind of fun in modern times to be able to, you know, live in the moment with my kids, you know, back in Missouri. They also had a super creepy display. Um, They saved Winston Churchill's long ringlets from when he got his first big boy haircut, and they are mounted in a glass case. My dad looked at me and thought, uh. I took (laughs) I'm like, I know. I looked at it and I said, I think I need to take a picture of that. And I did. (laughs) I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) One thing I missed at Blenheim um, that I regret that I think your brother got to go to was evidently there's a servant Mm. tour at Blenheim, and I wish I had known that was there. Yeah, me too. Yeah. My brother was really good for finding things, like going off on his own and finding things. We'll get to a little bit more of what he did at the end. Hi, all. I'm Melissa. The London trip was so amazing. How can I pick just one thing? Okay, here goes. I was surprised by the ladies of Blenheim Palace, all of them, but specifically Gladys Deacon, the Duke of Marlborough's mistress and later his wife. She was reportedly so beautiful, but in an effort to be even more beautiful, she had paraffin wax injections in her face. The wax eventually slipped down her face, creating unwanted lumps near her chin. This was in the early 1900s, the lengths women have always gone to for the sake of vanity. And she was only 22. And she commissioned a really ugly statue to be made at the palace. It was a sphinx with her face. She was a piece of work. After the gloriousness of Blenheim Palace, we got back in our motor coach and headed to the city of Oxford. Longtime listeners will know that my father, who was with me, was for 50 years a bassist in a professional symphony orchestra. And at Oxford, sort of hidden away, you have to know it's there and it's hardly ever open. There is the world's largest collection of historical musical instruments. So we headed that way, found the nondescript door, pushed the bell, and somebody had to scramble from an office in another part. 
part of the building and come down to let us in, um, turn the lights on, et cetera. It's that kind of museum. And so we walked around and saw all the old harpsichords with black keys and every iteration possible of the French horn with some tubes, no tubes, painted, not painted. They even had, was this a joke? I don't know. It's a modern instrument. They had a pink plastic recorder uh, <laughs> mounted with the woodwinds, which reminds me of the time I was at a toy museum and saw the um, speak and spell mounted that I had when I was a child. <laughs> like, mm, am I this old? So that was super fun. Um, the amount of effort required to gather and label and research those things was amazing. And they uh, accept donations from grand houses all over the kingdom. So that was the highlight of Oxford. And then we found the pub. (laughs) Yeah, apparently we got there just really close to the time that the things that tourists would do are closing. But our motor coach wasn't leaving for several hours. So we all scattered around the town and found pubs to hang out in. So Susan and DJ and I and my dad and some other listeners ended up at a pub called the Checkers Pub back in a courtyard. So awesome. Hidden away. Cobblestone courtyard um, where one of us ate wild boar pie. That was pretty exotic. Most of us did the old fish and chips. I I I knew when I went, I said, I'm going to eat my weight in fish and chips. And I didn't exactly, but I sure had it quite a bit. You know, two in, I quickly just realized that there's no point ordering fish and chips because I'm just going to eat the chips oh. with mayonnaise. I'm not going to eat the peas. Oh, Let's okay. not waste people's peas. And there's just too much fish. It was too much of a commitment. It's basically half of a whole fish. And I just couldn't, I couldn't face it, wasting the fish's life on a person like me who's not going to eat all of it. So I ended up eating a lot of functionally steak fries. (laughs) Well, I actually ate the fish. And I thought maybe if I kept trying the mushy peas, I would uh, grow to like them. And that never actually happened. So other people did have some historically based adventures in Oxford. And we'll play those for you now. Hi, it's Susan, the other Susan on this trip. It was a thrill to finally get to do the History Chicks London field trip after so many delays. It's hard to pick just one event, so I'll go with my nerdiest moment because it ended up having some added surprises. Upon arriving in Oxford, I went in search of the Lewis Carroll stained glass window that includes the Alice in Wonderland characters. See episode 28 of The History Chicks, located at Christ Church. I found it in the still active dining hall of the college, which served as the model for the Great Hall at Hogwarts. And I got to stand at the top of the stairs where Harry, Hermione, and Ron met Professor McGonagall for the first time. An unexpected bonus of this side tour was the Christchurch Chapel, where I learned about a fascinating 8th century woman, St. Frideswhite. She was a medieval princess who evaded an unwanted marriage for three years by hiding out in various locations, including a pigsty, before coming to Oxford to be an abbess. She is credited with the founding of a monastery that later became incorporated in with Christchurch. Women were feisty even back in the 8th century. Thank you, Beckett and Susan, for the many hours of enjoyable and informative episodes on Fascinating Women, and to Laura for holding this tour together for two years. Thank you to my fellow travelers for the new friendships and memories. Hope to catch up with everyone on a future tour. Hi, this is DJ. I'm reporting on something that I came across on our field trip that was exciting and unexpected. Uh, We made a trip to Oxford, England, and as I was walking down the street, just aimlessly wandering around the area, I came up on a plaque on the wall which said 
Robert Boyle's home site, 1655 to 1668. Although this may not mean much to you, to me it meant a lot since I was in the gas industry for over 30 years. Uh, Robert Boyle uh, developed Boyle's Law, which states the pressure of a given quantity of gas varies inversely with its volume at constant temperature. Now, when I saw this, I started jumping up and down. I was very excited. I took a picture and I sent it to my coworkers. It was very unexpected and very exciting, which I often find is the most uh, memorable things about these types of trips. I was with DJ when he saw this plaque and he really did get, I mean, I've had my entire life to watch him. This was the most excited I have ever seen him when he saw this plaque. He was like, but it's Boyle's Law. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that is. But I just think that's so awesome that everybody has something that they're just passionate about. It's their thing. And when they see that nerd moment, it's just fun to watch, even if you don't know what gas exchange even really is. So we move on to day five. Day five was the big day. Day five was something. We began day five by going to Jane Austen's house in Chawton. That was a pilgrimage for everyone. That's exactly the word I was just thinking. Yes, absolute pilgrimage. And it didn't disappoint. It was little, of course, but it was so sweet. And walking her gardens, I just, I got misty. Well, I have to say Jane Austen's house was the source of terribly big feelings for almost everyone. There were people like hugging themselves. Mr. Darcy's shirt from the BBC adaptation with Colin Firth was there. So there were some modern feelings and some, you know, in the way back feelings. Most people got a little choked up when they saw the relatively small table where Jane Austen wrote everything Mm -hmm. that we know. Mm So that was epic. I mean, and that's only part of the day. We took the opportunity to walk a little bit to her brother's house, the big house, Chawton House, and take a little swing through the walled garden up there. And one of the highlights of the walled garden for me was they have created an Elizabeth Blackwell medicine garden based on her book, The Curious Herbal. We haven't covered Elizabeth Blackwell yet, but there's a little homage to yet another woman in history. And we were able to see Cassandra and Mama's gravestones Mm -hmm. also while we were there. It was just a short walk from the main house and it was definitely worth doing. And then while we were there, there's a little tea room and my papa and I believe both of you had the first plowman's lunch of the journey. We did. And I had no idea what to expect. It was good. My big tea room moment was in the village of Chotton, right across the street from Jane Austen's house. Uh, we went in just to have a little snack and all these teacups were displayed on monofilament wire. And right above where we were sitting, I looked up and they had my mother's china pattern that I had just inherited. That cup was sitting there up in the sky, right above my head. It was almost like my mother was with us right over our heads saying, I'm so glad you were able to do this together. Hmm. I know. That's really good. I know. I loved it. Special moment. A special moment in a day full of special moments. Hi, this is Star. And the nerdiest thing I did on our field trip to London was listen to Helena Kelly's uh, book, Jane Austen, The Secret Radical. And it's a 14 and a half hour 
literary criticism of all of Jane Austen's work. And um, it was very, very insightful and helped to put her stories into historical context. Um, what the ladies like to say, drop her into history. Um, it, she really did a, a great job of, of doing this. And if you ever find yourself um, on your way to Chawton and the Jane Austen Cottage, uh, who knows? Pick yourself up this book and um, you might uh, see her stories through a different lens. Hi, this is Ellen. I love the entire tour, but I was most emotional seeing Jane Austen's house. She's my all-time favorite author, so it was pretty incredible to see where she wrote her books and lived with her family. I will also admit that I gasped when I saw the shirt Colin Firth wore in the famous lake scene in the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. It was definitely a highlight of the tour. Having tea at Highclere Castle was another emotional moment. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience that I'll never forget. What even made it more incredible was getting to share this moment with such a fun group of chicks and a few roosters, and all of us were just having such a great moment having tea in that great room. And I will always be grateful for Susan Beckett and then Laura at Like Mind Travels for this incredible opportunity. As if Jane Austen's house was not a big enough thing to have to absorb in one day, we got back on our bus and headed to what might have been one of the more anticipated locations of this tour. We were on our way to Highclere Castle, the real-life Downton Abbey, where they literally filmed the show. And as we approached on the long drive, and you could see it in the distance, Laura Hart played over the PA system, <laughs> the theme from Downton Abbey, and everybody was, ooh. <laughs> it was amazing. And honestly, I think we had gone there, gotten out, gotten our picture in front of the famous corner. We might have been satisfied, but no, we got to go inside. Now, they don't allow photography, but we did have tea right in that grand hall when you first walk in. You, you could just imagine the Crawleys there walking around, bustling the servants, and we were having tea and biscuits. It really was the greatest way to start off the tour. You felt so welcomed and it was it was great. We split off into three tour groups. My particular tour guide was actually an extra during the butler and housekeeper <laughs> wedding. And he had a photo of himself on the phone. A couple of people were ripping him about it. And I thought, you know what? If I was in an episode of Downton Abbey, I would literally have that as my lock screen. That's right. <laughs> so we all clapped and looked. Yeah. We're very, and he, he, his face was just beaming. He was so proud. He knew more historical facts about artifacts that we saw throughout that castle. Now, here's my personal highlight of Highclere <laughs> Castle. My father and I and a listener named Sharon got a little off and a little behind when we were trying to exit. And we were wandering about the kitchen trying to figure out what the exit door was. And a man who looked very familiar to us opened the door, rumpily in his linen suit with his floppy hair. We had just seen pictures of this man all over Highclere Castle. And sure enough, it was the Earl himself who apologized for the door having blown shut and in his upper crust way showed us out into the garden. We felt like we had encountered a rock star. <laughs> I can't even like touch that one. So I'm not going to. That is awesome. And I think um, other than the, the time that I bought gin at Blenheim Palace, this was the only time I ever actually bought things at the gift shop. Mm. 
Yeah. I was collecting tea towels. I don't know why everywhere we went. Yeah. I gave them to, you know, my kids are establishing houses and my mother-in-law seems to always give me towels for holidays. So I figured I'd return the favor. She actually did ask. That was the one thing she wanted was something from High Clare Castle. And we already had the gin. So <laughs> I got, she got a tea towel. <laughs> Hi, this is Laura Hart, and I was the group organizer, as most of you know. And one thing that made me extremely emotional on this trip, full of many emotions, was definitely watching everybody's face as they walked into Highclere Castle. As the group leader, I had to go up to the door first, and I had the unique opportunity to kind of be the first one in. And I turned around to watch all of you walk in, and everybody's faces were full of awe and wonder and um, recognition. It almost felt like walking into an old friend's home that you hadn't been to in a while. We're all so intimately familiar with Highclere Castle that to walk in and see all of it live and in person was an incredible experience, very emotional for me, and doubly emotional watching all of your faces. So thanks again for the trip of a lifetime. I will never forget it. When we heard the news, the groans of our travel group were audible. Roe v. Wade had just been overturned. My name is Sue, and when word came, we were standing in a gallery of High Clear Castle overlooking the luxurious living room where Downton Abbey is filmed. Moments before we'd been sipping tea in that very room, I thought the news of Roe would cast a permanent pall over my visit, but High Clear had more to teach me. Minutes later, we descended into the rooms of the castle's Egyptian exhibition. There, I was astonished to learn that the fifth Earl of Carnarvon was part of a two-man team who discovered the tomb of Tutankhamun. It took him a great deal of money and 17 years to do so. The lesson in perseverance, dear Earl, is not lost on me. I will fight on. wasn't enough fun for the day. That evening, Beckett and I and our plus ones met up with all of the seagulls. There's a dozen of them. And we went out for the traditional London curry, which I had never had before because I don't really like the taste of curry. I was assured that I just hadn't had the right kind of curry. So I had a curry sensei, Helen, sitting next to me, telling me what to order. And it was okay. It wasn't my favorite thing, but I think being with all those people was just amazing because I know that they had met because of the trivia on the la in the lounge. And um, it was just great to see them face to face because I'd played trivia with them several times. And uh, it was it was a wonderful curry dinner, even if the food was OK. <laughs> the volume from that end of the table I tell you what, friends. <laughs> okay. I have a tendency to get really loud and Beckett and I What? <laughs> Beckett and I know each other so well that when this happens to me and when I get excited, I get louder and louder. She does this little thing with her hand 
where she kind of just does this little hand gesture of like, slow it down there, bring it down, bring it down. And I can just see it out of the corner of my eye all the time. It happens a lot. So I appreciate that because I can't hear it. I just get excited. But yeah. (laughs) There is no amount of acting like a guy on the tarmac at an airport that would have brought the volume down from that end of the table. Everyone was so excited. It was epic. The, uh, The waiters kept looking like, what is happening? And I'm thinking, Americans, yo, that's what's happening. <laughs> Although there were some, Sarah's from Northern Ireland, Helen's from Bristol, uh, Maria lives in England. Oh, so there are a couple people from Sweden in there? I know. It's just amazing. So that was so much fun. I'm not going to do the seagull sound. Sorry, ladies. So moving on to day six. So day six opened with a bombshell. On day five, I felt a little run down, but when I woke up on day six, I had so much energy. I felt amazing. It was like whatever had been, it must have been sleep. I didn't have enough sleep or something. And I was going through my morning so quickly that I had to spare 10 minutes before we were to meet up. Now, I had been testing proactively because a couple people did have COVID in our group. So I was putting together my day bag while my test was percolating off in the corner. And I looked at it and I said the F word because there was that second line. I felt fine, but I needed to drop out at that point and isolate in my hotel room. Wah, wah, wah. So Susan's out. Um, several other people were out. The tour did move on to the Victoria and Albert Museum. And one thing about that museum that was special, I had um, gotten some permission to go to a reading room where they had stored a lot of the Beatrix Potter materials. And I called right before the tour to assure myself that my two-year-old authorization would still be appropriate. <laughs> but alas... That whole reading room had been closed for remodeling. But hooray, all the Beatrix Potter material that I would have seen had been mounted in a special exhibition at the Victoria and Albert Museum. So I was able actually to see it probably in a better framework with context and artifacts that wouldn't have been in the reading room. So I was very excited about that. More on that later. A couple of listeners would like to talk to you about that. Another thing I saw there was an extensive costume exhibit. We saw the likes of Chaparelli and Chanel and some puffy sleeves that would have made <laughs> Anne of Green Gables green with envy. Um, I myself missed the tiara exhibit at Sotheby's, but was able to see in the jewel collection at the Victoria and Albert Consuelo Manchester's tiara, the OG Consuelo, the one that our Consuelo Vanderbilt had been named after, her mother's best friend. Her tiara is there. A lot of Queen Victoria's jewels were there. There were women represented in almost every course that you were able to take through the Victoria and Albert Museum. Marie Antoinette, her mother, Maria Theresa, Queen Victoria, of course, Empress Josephine, the Duchess of Devonshire, they were just everywhere. And I kept taking pictures of fans because Susan likes fans and a lot of pictures of the Beatrix Potter exhibit to send back to Susan, who by then had ordered breakfast and was eating in her window seat. That's right. I did. I had a window seat with a window that actually opened with no screen. It was wonderful over the courtyard. So I sat in my window seat in the morning and waved goodbye to everybody as they went off. 
And then I read and got room service and watched all of the new season of Umbrella Academy. Hi, this is Sharon. And one of the most emotional parts of the trip of places that we went to um, was going to the Victoria and Albert Museum and seeing the Beatrix Potter exhibition. She's always been a favorite author of mine with my children. Uh, They all grew up listening to her stories um, and learned to read using the Beatrix Potter books. We used to watch Beatrix Potter videos. My oldest daughter, who's now 28, we have a video of her reading Peter Rabbit to all of her stuffed animals and dolls when she was three. She really just had the story memorized, but um, it's a it's a really special memory for me. And then learning that Beatrix Potter dedicated the latter part of her life to land preservation, and it was a key person responsible for uh, preserving 20% of the Lake District forever from development was just kind of icing on a ca- on the cake for a woman who I've always respected and been very, very fond of her work. So going to Beatrix Potter was a really exciting part of the trip. Hi, this is Inga. I think the things that made my inner history and archaeology nerd the most excited happened in the Victoria and Albert Museum and in the British Museum. We went on one of the free tours in the V&A and the guide showed us one of Da Vinci's original notebooks, uh, on display there that really impressed me and I let out an actual audible wow the guide noticed and commented on it I was a little embarrassed and at the British Museum I came across one of the Cori from the Erechtheion on the Acropolis in Athens I didn't know it was there and I was awed I heard so much about it in archaeology class for my um, bachelor's degree and it was just amazing to see it in person it was an amazing trip, and I'm so happy I got to go see so many impressive things and meet all of you. Thank you so much for everything. Hi, I'm Nancy, one of the seagulls. I think the thing that surprised me most was the landscapes that Beatrix Potter drew. I saw them when I visited the exhibit of her drawings at the Victoria and Albert Museum. I knew, of course, that she did remarkable drawings and paintings of animals, like the ones that were in the books, but the landscape pictures were so evocative of the area around her home in the Peak District, which I had previously visited. The day did not end there. On our way to Kensington Palace, we walked through Hyde Park, and many of us saw a marriage proposal. The whole park cheered. This poor man looked around like, ah. Oh. <laughs> But it looked relatively spontaneous. It was just them all alone, sort of in the middle distance. They were walking along with their backpacks and suddenly he dropped to his knee and everybody (gasps) held their breath. And then there was a big flinging up of arms and the big hug and the swinging around in a circle. And then the whole park cheered. (laughs) What a thing to be a witness to. So that was great. And then right outside of Kensington Palace, in addition to all the ice cream trucks that I resisted, I resisted them all until the very end, just to let you know. There is a statue of Queen Victoria that was actually sculpted by her daughter, Louise. Poor old Victoria's nose got blown off during World War II, so her nose is a little different than it once was. But I thought it was great that that statue has pride of place in such a prominent location. Mm. It's It's giant, and it is done by a royal princess. Kensington Palace itself, I have to say, by the time I got to Kensington Palace, I was a little bit palace out. Mm. And I also got yelled at for accidentally taking a video instead of a still picture. And the curator stood over me while I hit delete. So my feelings in Kensington Palace are a little bit negative. (laughs) 
little did she know she stood over it while I deleted the quote video. And then the second I got outside of that room where she was, I went to recently deleted and simply restored it. So Merry Christmas to you. It wasn't meant to be a video. I just wanted to take a still picture. And you know how you do. You like click it over accidentally. Yeah, no, I do. And I was like, why isn't it taking the picture? And then all of a sudden, there was the popo. (laughs) The Kensington Palace guards. That's funny. Let me let somebody else tell you a little bit more about Kensington Palace. Hi, this is Sarah, one of the seagulls. I would normally have said the dinner cruise was the highlight of the London trip for me, but there was a Susan-shaped hole. So despite spending the evening with my trivia people and meeting Beckett and meeting some of the other people from the main tour, everybody having such a great time, I can't pick that as my highlight. One of the things I did think was cool was walking down the steps of Kensington Palace, um, the same steps that young Princess Victoria had walked down. Bob was holding someone's hand, obviously. Everyone has seen the film and heard the podcast. Walking down those steps, I really felt history. And I was so pleased that I was experiencing it with such good friends that have such a great, the same interest. So that was my highlight. So all hail the seagulls. Cacaw, cacaw. Rounding out day six was the dinner cruise. We had half of one of these boats that goes up and down the Thames. And I thought it was great that there was integration of the seagulls and the travelers. Everybody made everyone welcome. It was like meeting old friends for the first time. I will tell you the whole thing was sad without Susan. Everybody missed her. Um, I, in fact, did not wear the super fancy dress I had had tailored, especially for this occasion. I just wore a long black dress because I figured without Susan and her super fancy dress, <laughs> there was no point. I'll save it for next time. All right. Um, and everyone missed you and um, spoke about you throughout the evening. So you should know about that. Right as we were coming on to the boat, just to our left was the famous Cleopatra's Needle that we talked about during the Hat Chupset episode. Not, in fact, too much to do with Cleopatra, but really Topmost Third. It came over on a boat called the Cleopatra. There you go. There's your Cleopatra's needle name and sunk to the bottom of the ocean after a storm. And after a while, people remembered, wait, wasn't that boat supposed to come? And then went looking for it and it got resurrected. So hooray, it is mounted right where you board the boats. So that was a extra surprise that we got to see as we got on the dinner cruise. And so everybody went outside to take pictures. The weather was beautiful. The sunset was beautiful. We got to see part of the city that we hadn't ever seen before. And some of the locals, some of the seagulls had come out and were explaining what we were looking at. It was like having our own personal tour guides. Uh, It was great. It was great. And then some of the people to get to the restrooms, you had to walk through the other half and people were having a 50th birthday party. And some of our party got swung onto the dance floor (laughs) and had their own (laughs) sort of impromptu dance party um, in the middle of the other party. So that was great. It was uh, fun was had by all. Yeah, this was I mean, I would have loved to have seen all the other things the rest of the tour. But this one, this is the one that hurt the most. This was the one that launched me into a little pity party while you guys were. I mean, I'm so glad you all got to do that. People took video of you giving a little talk at the end, which I loved and you did so good. But just my heart was it was just broken because I couldn't be there. 
I'm very sorry about that. And I think it was interesting when I gave the talk. It's hard to explain sometimes. I can talk in front of 10,000 strangers and it doesn't phase me at all. Not at all. But the fact that I was nervous to talk in front of all of you should be quite the compliment because I get nervous talking in front of people that I know. So obviously I regarded you as friends, you know, by then. And I was a little nervous to mess up, (laughs) you know. So um, anyway, I'm I'm glad to have met all of you. I'm glad that's actually when I got to talk to the seagulls the most. The first time I met them was at the curry luncheon, you know, the echoes on the walls and, and the length of the table made it so that I couldn't really talk then. But it was nice to be able to talk to them on the dinner cruise, which is a significantly quieter on our side of the boat. Significantly <laughs> quieter. <laughs> Hi, this is Heather. I went on the London trip, not as a part of the main tour, but as a seagull. Caca! This whole trip was amazing. And in a lot of ways, it was a dream come true. Uh, the one thing that was a big first for me was definitely the dinner cruise. I had never done a cruise like that before. And it was just really cool to be able to see so many historical sites from the water. We saw the Houses of Parliament, the Globe Theater, Greenwich Observatory, and then seeing the Tower Bridge from the water was just awesome. The best part about it, though, was really the fact that I got to enjoy all of this with such a phenomenal group of people. Over the past few years, um, because of the ongoing pandemic, I had to wonder if the trip was really going to happen. So I had to pitch myself a few times. I could just hardly believe that it was all real. Thank you so much, Becca and Susan, for creating this incredible community. I will remember this trip and the other people on it for the rest of my life. On to day seven, and the big draw today was that we were going to the Tower of London, but not only to the Tower of London, we were getting there before it opened and had our own private tour of the Crown Jewels. We felt so cool, especially when we saw what people after us went through. We walked in to where all of the crowns are stored. And normally there is a speedway, like a moving walkway that you get on that just drives you right past these things. Oh no, they were not on. We could wander about. We can look carefully. We can ask questions. There were a lot of guards in that room just for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were required to be there when anyone was in there. And every single one of them knew a fact about something that they were so happy to share. There was no music. There was, you know, minimal chatter. You could hear everyone talk. Every guard knew everything you asked. We idly mentioned about this big vessel made of solid gold that was part of the crown jewels. I wonder how many bottles of wine that'll hold. And the guard nearby goes, 144. <laughs> they knew everything. They um, they gave us a secret detail about one of Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales crown was actually molded on top of a ping pong ball part of it. And the ping pong ball was then extracted. So the part that looks so glorious like an orb is actually the covering in gold of an old ping pong ball. Hooray! (laughs) We got to know a lot of things. And the fact that later we realized that people would wait two hours in line to go through this thing where the walkway just drives them right by these things. And we got to spend an hour and a half in there. That was really special. Mm. We felt special. So then... My favorite part, real quickly, was the graffiti that had been carved inside of the tower that was used to keep the prisoners. So there's graffiti going back hundreds and hundreds of years um, and with museum card notations about who it is, what they were in for, what happened to them, etc. That was great. 
Hi, this is Amy. And one moment that was really special to me on this trip was when we were at the Tower of London. Laura, our planner, got us early access to the Crown Jewels, which was amazing. And we got to be in the Jewels house by ourselves for about an hour before the general public was allowed in. And to me, fashion and jewels are really important artifacts from history. And to be able to be in there and and really look at the different pieces and know the backgrounds of some of the individual stones and pearls and imagine the people wearing, who have worn these, you know, on their heads and their wrists. And it's just such a visceral connection to history. And I completely geeked out about it. It was one of my favorite moments of the trip. And I was so happy that I was with people who understand why I geeked out so hard about that. So thank you, Laura. Thank you, Beckett and Susan. And this trip was amazing. Hi, I'm Lori, and I was so privileged to be able to go on this amazing trip. One of my favorite memories was of our day at the Tower of London. I've been there before, but this was a day that can't be duplicated. We arrived at the Tower before it opened to the public, and we were escorted through a secret door in the main gate where a yeoman, better known as a beefeater, took us to the Crown Jewels. Our group had the exhibit exclusively to ourselves. The moving sidewalk was turned off, and we were able to gaze at them in awe and wonder for about 20 minutes. We were further reminded how lucky we were when about an hour later, the queue to see the jewels looked like the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. We spent several more hours at the tower. The moat has been filled with wildflowers for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebration, creating a super bloom. It was so special to walk the moat and be surrounded by these beautiful flowers. We returned that evening after the tower had been closed to the public to witness the Ceremony of the Keys, a tradition that has continued nightly for hundreds of years, where the yeoman warder and the queen's guards lock up the tower for the night. We were escorted out of the tower through the same secret door in the main gate we entered earlier that morning. We were able to say that we opened and closed the Tower of London on the same day. Pretty cool, huh? Hello there, my name is Rhonda, and I had the privilege of joining the History Chicks on their field trip to London. My favorite experience happened at the Tower of London. Now, prior to the trip, I had watched a six-part documentary called Inside the Tower of London, and I couldn't wait to see it in person. During my visit, I loved the beautiful architecture of the buildings, the macabre history of torture and executions, the crown jewels, the armory museum, and the ravens. But my favorite part had to be the yeoman warders. Their tour of the tower was informative, but quite theatrical. Nicknamed Beefeaters, Yeoman Warders are a detachment of the Yeoman of the Guard, and they have guarded the tower since Tudor times. They are comprised of 32 men and women. An interesting fact, in order to be considered for this role, each applicant must have had 22 years military service in the British Armed Forces, reached the rank of Warrant Officer, and they must have also been awarded the Long Service and Good Conduct Medal. Now, once chosen, they all live in private housing on site. And yes, I said men and women. So here's my moment. While waiting for a tour, I got to meet Yeoman Warder Amanda Clark, who was the second female Yeoman Warder ever in history and joined in 2017. I knew who she was because you guessed it. She was featured in the documentary I had watched. You better believe I got a photo with her. Hi, this is Diana from New York City. I really feel fortunate to have been able to finally travel with this group after so many setbacks. And in retrospect, while there were plenty of moments that I'll cherish for a lot of different reasons, 
One instance that stands out where I felt my emotions really swelling up inside was when I was alone wandering through the Superbloom at the Tower of London. I got to a section where I was surrounded by the wild blossoms and I heard a soundscape gently carried on the breeze. It was such an elegant way to engage all my senses and I imagined the little flowers dancing to the piece that I later found out was simply called Music for Growing Flowers by composer Erland Cooper. Later that night, some of us went to pub trivia and this place had not had trivia for two and a half years during the height of COVID. Although, as you will see, (laughs) we are still in the middle of COVID. Susan's out. I will soon be out. It's an all skate. But nevertheless, they reinstated pub trivia and it was so great in there. Most of the tables, of course, were locals, but there was a table of Australians and two tables of us, largely, although not completely, Americans. And the Australians and the Americans really upped the noise game in that facility. So by the end, it was a raucous good time. People got a little lubricated. People had the right answer. Everyone laughed at the way the Americans kept saying the host would say Louisville, Kentucky, and we would all say Louisville. (laughs) And then he goes, oh, how Louisville. And then one of the people at our table goes, Worcestershire. (laughs) And he goes, okay, point taken, point taken. It was so hilarious. And there was a dog sleeping in the middle of the floor. It was very good. The team, headed by Sarah Donnelly and where my dad participated, won the whole banana. Nice. They won over everyone in that room. Yeah, that one that one killed me too. Because, you know, I play trivia with these people. I knew they were doing this like months ago. It was on my little calendar to go to trivia. Ugh. Tabitha here, one of the seagulls. Man, what an amazing trip. I cannot even imagine a better trip. I was able to meet up with many of the ladies that play trivia and have been playing trivia with for uh, over a year now. It was amazing. Highlight for me was all of us gathering together. Beckett joined in the fun and we went to a pub around the corner from the hotels and played trivia together. Sadly, we couldn't be one team, but one of our teams did land on top as the winner with a tiebreaker question that just so happened to be a history question. Amazing. Many of us um, have met for, just met for the first time on this trip, and I'm sure we'll meet again. I can't wait for the next history trick field trip, and hope to meet many more of you soon. As Susan would say, bye! Hey guys, this is Brandy. Um, I traveled to London as a seagull. Uh, more than anything, I've loved being with people who share my love of history. Um, This is the first trip I've ever taken where I didn't hesitate to ask somebody if they'd like to see a random place where a seemingly random person did a kind of neat thing 300 years ago. Um, Somebody always wanted to join. Um, I will say the most uh, memorable thing for me um, as a faithful participant in History Chicks Trivia each Saturday was uh, doing a pub quiz in person with some of the trivia ladies uh, to our surprise and delight. Um, Beckett's dad joined us. Um, we ended up winning that night and, uh, we're all, were able to cover almost our entire bar tab. It was a fantastic trip. And even though I went as a seagull, um, I want to thank Susan and Beckett for this opportunity. Um, meeting friends in person that I've only ever seen in the little box on a zoom call was the most precious gift. Thanks again, ladies. Hi, this is Jackie from the Mississippi Gulf coast. 
And the quirkiest or nerdiest thing I did, besides go on a fantastic trip with a bunch of lovely ladies who I'd never met and now I am extremely fond of, um, was go to Trivia Night at a English pub. Um, so the night before at uh, the River Cruise, I introduced myself to the Seagulls, who also happened to be the majority of the trivia chicks. And they invited me to come play trivia the next night at the Warwick Pub, um, just down from our hotel. And I went. And it was so much fun. Uh, We had a blast. Shout out to the Wrong Directions. Uh, Taylor, Inga, Susie, Beckett, and Nancy. And we played trivia. Drank some Pimm's Cups. Answered some questions with Johnny the Fox, who was an amazing trivia host. Uh, Got called out for being Americans. And uh, that was one of uh, my most favorite experiences and memories that I will take with me. Hello to all the seagulls. I think you're all fabulous. And I can't wait to hop on a trivia Saturday when I'm not at the hospital working. Um, I hope everyone is doing well, and I can't wait to see you on future trips. And now, by day eight, COVID had reached its little hand among our tour group. We had begun to hemorrhage members. COVID had reached its hand in and grabbed us by the scruff of the neck and was kind of shaking us. And the seagulls pointed to where we probably all picked it up, which was the chaos of Westminster Abbey. Right. In retrospect, you know, after everybody came home and some of them also had contracted COVID, they didn't go to Westminster Abbey the same day we did. So they were able to compare when our group started to fall and when their group started to fall. And it was the same number of days after Westminster Abbey. Now, I actually was masked in Westminster Abbey, but obviously I didn't wear it the whole day. And I don't know if that's where I got it. But um, yeah, that was that's their theory. That's the seagulls working theory that the Abbey gave us all COVID. (laughs) So the remainder of us all went on a guided suffragist tour of the city of London. One of our members wore a votes for women sash, which was a big hit with the tour guide. Many, many more wore green, white and purple. I thought that was definitely uh, of the spirit of the day. This day eight was the only day it rained the whole time we were there. One thing we really got educated on was the amount of violence perpetrated against these women. The sheer physical struggle they had to go through to get what we see now as a standard right, you know, the right to vote. And we didn't, I think, realize before then, you know, dragged down a dark alley and no one was a witness to what happened and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was dark, very dark. And it was uh, sort of interesting to see where those sorts of things had happened and, and learn what people had to go through for our benefit. We ended at the Emmeline Pankhurst statue right beside the uh, Houses of Parliament, um, set aside in a little park, given her own courtyard. That was a very satisfactory way to end that afternoon. 
Hi, this is Taylor. The History Chicks field trip was my first time traveling internationally and my first time traveling solo, so I was definitely a little terrified, but I think it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. It was just so incredible to see all these landmarks that I've only seen in TV shows and movies or read about in books and to think about all the history contained in those walls and all the people who have been there before me and everything that those walls had seen. I think one of the things that stuck with me the most, though, would be the suffragette walking tour. I didn't really know much about the British suffragettes and the inhumane torture that they had to go through just to get what should be a basic right to have a say in in their own communities. It was also really interesting the role Winston Churchill played in that, because that's definitely not something that they teach you about in school, and they probably should. Um, Obviously, women didn't get the right to vote until after the World War, and even then, It wasn't all women. So after all they went through, their work still wasn't over yet. And it was really important work. And it happened, obviously, here in America as well. But I just thought that was really interesting to learn about the movement on the other side of the pond as well. And to cap off day eight, it was the goodbye dinner. Again, poignant without Susan to be there to say goodbye to everyone that we had made friends with over the course of this whole tour. It was a big exchange of numbers and profiles and contact information. There was so much conversation at the goodbye dinner. And we, as a full circle type of thing, were able to get the same bus that had taken us on our tour at the beginning to bring us on this last round. You know, we were up on top of the bus saying, goodbye, (laughs) Big Ben. Goodbye, London Eye. Goodbye, Houses of Parliament. Like it was really, you know, goodbye, Regent Street. We just said bye to everything. It was almost like a curtain call of London. (laughs) That's lovely. In addition to our official tours, everyone made so many glorious alternate plans. You've heard of some of them, you know, the tiara exhibit at Sotheby's, for example. But we wanted to give you an opportunity to listen to some of the others. My most memorable, um, you'll hear about the London Eye pub car, so I won't go into that. Um, My dad loved that, by the way. But a couple of mine, my son is a big skater, a big skater. And there is a street called Leak Street right under the London Eye where there is a three block long official legal graffiti tunnel that I made a pilgrimage to and took a lot of pictures for him. And in addition, I got directions from our bartender aboard the London Eye to point me to the largest urban skate park in London. So we went there and it is surrounded by a permanent street fair. And that is where I finally succumbed. I finally went to an ice cream truck. They were everywhere. (laughs) And I resisted them. And I'd never had a flake before. And I I had a flake. You had a 99. That was on my list that I didn't get to have. It's soft serve ice cream with this chocolate candy um, flake bar shoved in the side. And for a historical journey, I was able to see a replica of the Golden Hind, which was the ship captained by Sir Francis Drake. Hi, this is Patty. I think the thing I was most amazed with was St. Paul's Cathedral. But then it kind of makes me sad to think of how much money was spent on a building when it could have been used to help the people of the community. I always have that issue when I see um, things like that that are supposed to be for the people, but it ends up being about money and power. This is Cynthia. And this is Bailey. 
We were one of the few uh, mother-daughter duos on the trip. And one of the funniest things or most interesting that we kind of said wow about was one day we took a changing of the guard tour and the Queen's Cavalry was part of this one. And the Queen's Cavalry is known for being extremely smart and the Queen handpicks even all their breeding stuff. They also get to do a seaside vacation every year. So we learned a lot of fun facts about these guys. We also heard about one horse in particular who uh, was smart and or bored, and he would pocket his oatmeal in his mouth every day or his oats. And then when he was standing around doing nothing, he would spit it out and the pigeons would come and eat the oats and he would stomp on the pigeons. Which frightened a lot of children, so he was forced into early retirement. And it was a great trip. Thank you, Beckett, Susan, and Laura. We had a great time. We loved it. Thank you, guys. Hello, it's Susie. So my boyfriend and I, as many people know, have a very unusual obsession with corgis because we love them a lot because they just bring happiness to the world. So I was very happy to be there in the aftermath of the Jubilee so that I could track down all the corgis and take pictures of them forever so they can be our friends. I especially liked Susan. Did you like the corgis, David? He gave a thumbs up. I'm Ash. I'm Canadian. Uh, the Canadian. And I guess the quirkiest thing I did in London with three other people from our group is go on the Jubilee pod for of the London Eye. So the London Eye is a big Ferris wheel, for lack of a better word, um, of enclosed pods that goes around. It takes like half an hour. It's super cool. And whenever I travel somewhere, I want to go to one of the highest points in the city and, you know, look around and see everything. And then we're like, oh, they do the Jubilee pod on weekends. And you get two free drinks and, well, you pay for it, but you get two drinks and, you know, it's it's awesome. So I was like, cool, let's do that. So there are four of us and there's supposed to be 11 of us in our tour and it only ended up being the four of us from our group. And the pod was decorated because it was a Jubilee pod. It had uh, flowers for the Queen's Jubilee and Platinum Jubilee and pictures of her throughout the years and her favorite drinks, like we had a choice of two of them. Yeah, I, I loved that. And that was probably my favorite thing that not everyone did, but that a few of us got to do. And I was really glad we got to do it together. Hi, my name is June. And I had the time of my life on the London field trip. One of my favorite things was going to the Royal Mail Postal Museum. I have worked for the Postal Service for 35 years. So of course I had to go there. And they had some great exhibits, and you got to ride a train that formerly took mail stacks under the streets of London. It was fantastic, as was the entire trip. DJ had already made his one call to us and talked about the gas exchange theory, but this is what my brother did. He had bought his tickets to London with miles, so it was cost prohibitive for him to go back early. We had originally planned, Beckett and her dad and DJ and I, to go to Bath for a few days. Well, obviously, we had to cancel that. So DJ stayed in London uh, for a few extra days, and then one day he said, you know what? I think I'd like to have a Guinness in Ireland. So he travels to Ireland to get a Guinness in, uh, mm-hmm. in Dublin, and he sends me a text and he says, apparently, you can't walk into a pub and get a Guinness. But after five, I was able to leave because my drinking buddies wanted to switch to whiskey. So- <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so I think DJ had a great time. He went off on his own adventure. And several days after he got back from London, he too tested positive for COVID. Now, I felt fine. <laughs> I had energy. I isolated for a few days. Uh, I did mask up and go for walks by myself outside. If I saw people, I steered away from them. Um, I did get to see Cleopatra's Needle, and I did get to see the Super Bloom. There was one day I walked like eight miles. I suppose if you have to have COVID, it was probably the best way to do it, you know, in a beautiful hotel room uh, with room service and feeling fine um, and able to go outside and, and, you know, take long walks and stuff. So I got off very easily. Well, I have to say I tested positive when I got back to the United States. I spent a week in an Airbnb paying a triple cleaning fee when I left. And I, as of this date, which is the 24th of July, am still sick a month later. So, hmm, cuidado. She's being vague, but Beckett is a big walker. She walked miles and miles before we went to London every day. But after she came back and she finally was able to go back to her house, she went for a walk. She went a block and sends me a text and says, I'm a block from my house. I don't know if I can make it back. Is it bad if I call an Uber? Mm -hmm. That's how weak she is. Right. I mean, I picked up pneumonia uh, after the COVID had officially left the building. Um, so there you go. That was my little souvenir. Awful, awful souvenir. I got tea towels. I, again, got the better end of the deal. <laughs> I did get a bottle of gin. I was actually concernicus that it wouldn't make it home properly because it's bright pink as it has um, rhubarb and strawberries in it. Mm. I thought, well, if this breaks, that's it for everything oh. <laughs> in this suitcase. But it made it home just fine. So I'm very glad. Now, all in all, despite the COVID, despite the rail strikes, we had beautiful weather. We had amazing friends. We saw amazing things. Our hearts were enlarged. Our minds were enlarged. Our spirits were mm -hmm. enlarged. We had a great time. This was the trip of a lifetime. My name is Suzanne and my rooster Jason and I registered for London in 2020. I remember the conversation well. I said I was going and asked if he was coming. He did. We had years literally to build expectations and this trip exceeded everyone. We wandered the halls at Hampton Court where the documentaries and episodes came to life. I touched the White Tower, a bucket list item. I even have the picture to prove it. We dined on the River Thames, Trader's Gate from Land and Sea sang along with six, and climbed 500-plus stairs at St. Paul's Cathedral. We saw and tasted and loved it all. Visiting Jane Austen's house was a favorite. I had the honor and privilege of standing in the parlor while Beckett and Susan recorded a birthday message for a fan. They were standing right by Austen's desk. The tears were immediate. Dreams do come true. The history chicks have brought more joy to my life than they'll ever comprehend culminating in a wonderful trip that was expertly planned and executed by Laura and Like Mind Travel. I have only one question. Where, my friends, are we going next? Thanks to Laura Hart for arranging everything. Thanks to all the seagulls for uh, arranging such a tour-adjacent travel and for being such 
avid History Chicks listeners and thanks to everyone that came with us and their loved ones mm-hmm. for holding down the fort at home so they could go on this adventure of a lifetime. If you would like to join us on a future adventure, we only have one on the books right now, and that's to Boston in October. We're going to do Boston and Newport. We're going to Louisa May Alcott's house. We're going to go tour some mansions. We're going to tour Lizzie Borden's house. And it will be a group a little bit smaller than this one. So if that's something that interests you, we're going in October, which should be peak leaf season in New England. It's just beautiful if you've never seen it. Um, And this is a great way to do it with a bunch of people who don't mind reading every single placard in a museum. (laughs) (laughs) There's still, I believe, two or three spots left on that tour. So if you would like to join, go to likemindstravel.com and there will be details there waiting for you. Thanks for listening. Bye.